This station is conducting a test of the emergency broadcast system. This is only a test. Look, before we start this episode of the James McMahon Music Podcast, I need to tell you something. I need your help. I need you, when you finish with the episode, to go to the platform you've listened to this podcast on and give me a rating, a review, and to subscribe too. It helps me cheat the algorithm and get more ears on the podcast. And know this, I'm very grateful for it. Also, I have a substack where I write about music and film and telly and all sorts of stuff. I love it if you sign up for dispatches. There are different price options, five quid a month, 50 quid a year, and for that, you get access to loads of exclusive writing and podcasts. It's the most helpful thing you can do to support the stuff I make. And again, I'd be so grateful. That's spook.substack.com. That's spook with three O's. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank Jesus. This concludes this test of the emergency broadcast. Oh, shit. You're listening to the James McMahon Music Podcast. And I'm your host, James McMahon. And this is a Spook Media Production. Drums! 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 How many times do I have to tell you? Today is World Guitar Day. Oh, sorry. Guitar! Guitar, guitar, guitar! Guitar, guitar, guitar! Guitar, 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 guitar! Guitar, guitar! Guitar, 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 guitar! Guitar, 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 guitar! Guitar. I did this interview with guitar virtuoso and sometime Alice Cooper and Demi Lovito six-stringer Nita Strauss around about a month ago. Her new album, The Call of the Void, was about to be announced. And then that announcement went back. And then back again. And then back once again. But now, with that record on powerhouse metal imprint Sumerian Records, confirmed to be dropping on July 7th, I finally got the green light to publish the episode. And it's a good one. Very funny in places. I'm going to press publish on this episode before the album announcement goes back again. Enjoy the episode! Sorry, (laughs) Sorry, I'm a couple of minutes late. I was just watching a documentary about UFOs. Oh, wow. (laughs) It's all good. Um, I have until the half hour. Is that okay? Yeah, sounds good. Um, You being in your car, quite often on on Twitter, I'll see people like recording angry monologues in their car. That seems to have become a bit of a trope. Is there anything you're you're angry about and want to get off your chest? Not today, actually. I'm I'm in my car because uh, I am on set actually shooting a music video today. So I actually just stepped into my car to do this quick little uh, hour of interviews. And then I got to go right back in there and get back to work. Right, right. Right, got you. Fair enough. Well, as, you know, as long as, as long as you're not driving while we talk, I think that 
I, I might take a spin. I haven't decided yet. No, I'm just right. kidding. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, it could be a distraction. Um, yeah, the UFO thing. Um, you believe in UFOs? I mean, how could you not? The universe is vast. There must be something else out there. This is this is sort of my clumsy segue into uh, you playing with Demi Levito because she's big on UFOs, right? She is, yes. Yeah, yeah. See what I did there? That was professional. Very it? clever. I have been excited about speaking to you because your UK PR, Kirsten, who I've known for years and I think he's like one of the best people I know in music. She messaged me the other day. I think she was sat in on some of your interviews and she messaged me and she said, oh, you're going to love talking to Nita. And that's quite a strange, it's quite a strange thing for her to do. It's almost like I I was intrigued. I was like, oh, why am I going to enjoy talking to Nita? You're like, why? (laughs) It's quite a lot of pressure, right? I mean, I guess it's a lot of pressure on me to be interesting. Um, So... You're you're back playing with Alice, right? Yes. How is that? Well, I haven't started yet, so so far so good. Uh, I start re- rehearsal with him next week. Oh, okay, cool. Is that, so? Yeah. I I guess I, one of the things I always kind of find interesting about because you were in that Netflix documentary, weren't you? That was almost about like hired guns for want of a better term. Yes. Yes. One of the things I always find interesting about people who have those roles within music is. How, how do you kind of like establish boundaries? You know, it's almost like you're there to do a job, which is to kind of shred on top of his songs. How does he establish the boundaries of, well, this is my band and I'm the boss? And how do you kind of fit in within that? Well, there's there's not really any, there's not any, even really a conversation about that, right? It is his band. He is the boss, you know, yeah. so there's... There's no conversation to be had. There's no puffing of the chest to me. Like, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't, and maybe this is why I work a lot. You know, I certainly wouldn't go into a gig and say, well, if you ask me, this is how I think we should play schools out or billion dollar babies or 18. Like, you know, we, as you know, the, the longstanding Alice Cooper band of myself, Tommy Hendrickson, Ryan Roxy, Chuck Garrick, Glenn Sobel, like we go there to execute an Alice Cooper, an Alice Cooper show to Alice Cooper's vision and uh, his manager, Shep Gordon and Bob Ezrin, who has been producing Alice's music forever since literally forever. Um, So we definitely don't go in there, you know, puffing out our chests and trying to call the shots. Like we understand the role that we play and that is to execute an incredible Alice Cooper show. And, uh, and that's what we do. There's um, there's, there's no real boundary to establish. We know, we know the deal. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I get that. I guess there's, um, I guess almost kind of what I'm trying to say is, I sort of feel like in any kind of like creative space, so almost what you're saying is it's almost like an, un, it's almost like an unspoken respect. Yeah, and also you know when you're being hired to do a job, like let's say, let's say you're hired to to work at a a restaurant, you know, you're hired to work at an Italian restaurant. And the, the chef is a, a famous Italian chef. You're not going to go in there and say, hey, you know what I think we should do? I think we should make some tacos. You know, like if you want to make tacos, open up a taco restaurant. You're going to come work in the Italian restaurant. You're going to make the Italian food the way that the Italian chef does it by his recipes. So like, you know, that's that's sort of how we look at coming into a gig like that. You know, we're there to work in this incredible Italian restaurant. We're going to be there to make some fucking pasta and pizza. You know, like we're right. not going to come in and try to add sushi to the menu. So do you think that's why you never seem short of work? Is that it, almost like your professionalism? 
I think, I think that's part of it. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm a very seasoned performer. I'm very, you know, well-versed in, in different styles of music, working with a lot of different artists, you know, a big part of it is, is also being easy to get along with, you know, being low drama, you know, I, I am just used to working with a lot of different people. So I think that probably also helps in staying busy. So you've got your, so your record gets announced next week, doesn't it? Yes. Yes. So I guess the other way of looking at it is when you're the boss, do you, do you actively seek out people who can almost uh, be as professional as you are when you are guesting with people? Or have you had any situations where you felt like people have overstepped the mark within your own, kind of when, you, when you've been the captain of the ship, so to speak? Yeah, um, my solo band and crew are the best human beings on the whole planet. And we have it down to a science now. Like we've had some turnover in, in you know, people that we work with. And the group that we have now is just so, again, very seasoned. We've done this together a lot. You know, my my solo band has been together as a band now for, I think it's four years that, you know, we've all been touring together whenever I do solo tours. Um, same thing with our, our tour manager, Guitar Techs, like a lot of people we've had for a very long time. So it's just about keeping a good team around you and a team that cares. My team cares as much about the fate of the show as I do. You know, they they all will give their heart and soul to make sure that the shows go well and that the music is presented in the best light. You know, they they feel as responsible for it as I do. So it's just important to keep people around with the same vision that you have. Were you kind of lucky in finding those people or was there a, was there, was there any misfires on the way to finding that team? There has absolutely been some misfires. We had one tour, one tour that we called the Deadpool tour because we sent so many people home. Wow. <laughs> we just had a, a a list. You know, I think I think in six weeks we may have sent five or six people home on one tour, and and it's because we run my small tour like a big tour. You know, we we take as good of care of people as we can, and we expect a lot from people in return. You know, and and it's a family out there. You know, at the end of the day, like there are some tours where. The, the principal artist will, will get food after the show and the crew doesn't. And that's not how we do things on my solo tour. Like if I eat, everybody eats. If everybody's hungry, I'm hungry. You know, if we are loading the trailer together, I'm in the trailer, pulling lights out, pulling cables, winding cables, doing, you know, rolling cases, whatever we need. Like it's all for one and one for all. And I think if you can set that example as a leader, you know, my boyfriend, Josh, and I sort of run this this show together. And if we set that example as leaders, I think it makes it easier for people to work with us because they say, you know, we're not sitting in the bus watching people push our stuff. You know, we're in there with everybody making it happen. Um, and I think that's what you got to do. Mm, that's very admirable. When, when, pe- when people are being sent home, do you have to, do you deliver the verdict yourself? Generally, yeah. Generally so. How do you do that? Um, uh, it depends on the situation. Um, is, it, is it like because you because you've got like an association with wrestling? Is it a little bit Vince McMahon? You're fired. Like or? you're fired. Kiss my ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, um, no. You know, um, uh, it's honestly it's been a really long time because we've had our group together for a really really long time the only turnover anytime recently has been if somebody wasn't available you know that's the only reason i've gotten somebody new uh so i'm trying to think what the last person that i personally sent home was uh, actually a, a tour manager who was also 
doing sound, also doing front of house sound. And uh, he just had a, a moment of grave, grave unprofessionalism. And he had come very highly recommended. So like, and it's funny because he's much older than me, you know, and we sat down in the back of the tour bus and I expressed my disappointment. Like I felt like a parent scolding a child. I said, I am so disappointed that you would treat my tour like this because you came so highly recommended from people that I trust, that I care about, and that you would pull this shit on me that like, I I'm just deeply, deeply disappointed. I cannot trust you because the tour manager runs, runs the show. You know, the tour manager is responsible for getting us from point A to point B and to have a tour manager that's also doing sound. I mean, they're literally doing everything to make the show happen besides actually playing the instruments. So I said, I don't feel that I can trust you with my tour anymore. Uh, I will give you the choice that you can, I'll get you a hotel here and you can fly home from here in the morning, or you can ride the bus with us and I'll fly you home from Seattle tomorrow. Um, but I don't want you on the tour after that. And he said, I'll fly home from Seattle in the morning. And he was really, he was really apologetic. And he said, I'll, I'll cover my flight. I know that I was wrong and I will pay for my flight home. And I, I was going to pay for it. You know, I'm, I can't put somebody out of their own pocket if I'm going to fire them. So like I was already prepared to buy the plane ticket. And he said, no, 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 uh, I'll, I will pay for the plane ticket. It's no problem, you know. And then the following day, he wound up taking cash from me to pay for the plane ticket. And he left us stranded, didn't leave his show files, didn't leave anything. So unprofessional all the way, good rinse to bad rubbish. The guy I have now has been with me literally since that day, has done every single one of my solo shows since that very day and uh, wouldn't trade him for the world. I think there's a phrase, I'm going to fumble this. I'm, I'm one of these people that get, gets cliches wrong. You know, like, uh, so I was I was going to say something like, oh, you can't make an omelette without breaking a few eggs, but I'm not even that sure. That is it. Yes, is that's that what the it one. Is? I, yeah. Yes, that's what it is. I am a cliche fiend. Like, I love I love a good phrase. I, I, I work them in a lot. I don't know why. It just, it's just something, I, I don't know. I like it. So, yeah, a rolling stone gathers no moss. Whatever, you know. So, yes, with, you can't, can't, can't break an omelette without making eggs. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, You know which one I don't like? I don't like, uh, you can't have your cake and eat it too. Like, I don't like that one. That one, uh, it has never made sense to me. Like, why would you hold on to a cake and not eat it? Yeah. This is on my mind a bit, actually, because I'm writing a book at the moment, and it's about OCD. Mm -hmm. I have OCD. And there's I was critiquing the phrase... um, like what you don't know can't hurt you and i was like that's literally uh-huh. that is literally the essence literally what can of, hurt of, you of, 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 like as in it's literally the essence of ocd as in like mm-hmm. what you don't know is what you worry about if that makes sense but, yeah mm-hmm. it makes perfect sense and also like imagine if you are you know i am in a, a strange city 80 percent of the year i'm in a city that i don't live in Imagine if I didn't know it wasn't a safe neighborhood. No one told me, hey, don't go, you know, walk exactly, to the drugstore exactly. at night. Uh, like, you got to know what you don't know won't hurt you. So uh, maybe I walk to CVS in the middle of, you know, downtown. I live in L.A. Maybe I walk to CVS in the middle of downtown L.A. and and get mugged, you know, yeah. because I didn't know. So I, I don't like that one either. Yeah, no, so let's wipe that one from the record. You, you're a You're a Rams fan, right? Yes. You seem a little bit of a Rams obsessive. Well, it's 
it's easy to be obsessed with a team when they are your hometown team and you happen to work for them and play and perform at every home game. So it's it probably comes across as obsessive when it's more of like a great gig that I love. So last time I was in LA, I went to see I went to see LA Galaxy. I'm a big I'm a big soccer fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I went I went to see LA Galaxy. But I bef- just before I'd been to the match, I'd been to the Natural History Museum, which is next to the Ram Stadium, right? Is and it next to the Ram Studio? I think so. Yeah, like there's like a uh, there's like skeletons of dinosaurs outside of it, and there was a yeah. there was like a like a like an exhibition match. Like it wasn't during the NFL season, but mm-hmm. it's just it it's just wild. Like it wasn't like a competitive game, but obviously there was. Do you call it like uh, tailgating? Is that what it's called? Tailgating, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean that's. That's amazing. That should be introduced. You guys all... don't do that? No. No. What? No. no, we go we go and we like we'll go to a match, whether it's like a football match or a rugby match or and you go and you you, you pay far too much money for food that tastes like cardboard and mm-hmm. you turn up maybe half an hour before and you see how much beer you can drink before the match starts. But right, like... yeah. No the tailgate is, is the is the vibe. I actually have been to an NFL game in London before and uh what a mess that was <laughs> like, really i mean oh i had a great time i mean look i had a ball i'm a huge nfl fan but like i loved going to the game at wembley it was a jags game and i loved going to the jags game because like nobody knew what the fuck was going on <laughs> like nobody knew the rules everybody was cheering for both teams you know everybody's in there like man you jerseys and you know cowboys jerseys like teams that weren't even playing you know and it was just like it was it was a it was a blast what was it like? Because uh, you were involved with um, LA Kiss as well, weren't you? I was. What was that like? It was fun. Um, you know, the team was a brand new team. I think they only had the one season. Um, it was very highly publicized because they had the the TV series going on around it at the time. Um, so it was it was a big it was a big production. Um, you know, we had pyro, we had girls dancing in cages, we had lights, we, you know, we had bands performing every halftime, you know, we had Steel Panther, my first game there. Um, so it was much more of an entertainment production than the Rams games, which is a football game that also happens to have a top-notch entertainment team here and there, you know, performing between, you know, a timeouts or halftime and whatever else. Did you ever cross paths with Doc McGee? Uh, a few times, yes, in passing. What was that like? Uh, he's lovely. You know, the the whole KISS organization, um, you know, I, I worked with Gene and Paul more directly when I was working with LA KISS. Um, everybody, and then, like, we've, we've been to the show a few times. We've been on festivals with KISS before. Um, and they just, they're an example of some an organization that has been doing it so long and so well and at such a high level that they just have it down, you know, like from the running of the show, how smoothly everything goes, how smoothly their, their guest experiences, you know, when you go to a kiss show as, as a guest of the band, it's so comfortable and so easy. And it's, it's just well set up. Um, and they just, they've just, they've got it figured out. So it's, it's a pleasure to be around them and see how they do things and learn a little bit. Do you think the fact that you are complimentary about everyone is testament to your professionalism? I honestly just don't have, I mean, you know, if I have a negative experience like that tour manager, you know, like I have no problem saying it. I just have been lucky and working with a lot of really good people. 
Are you? Uh, I read today that you are. You say you're uh, descended from Johann Strauss. Is that is that true? You know what? Who even knows what's true anymore? This is something that um, <laughs> right. twenty twenty three. Yeah, twenty twenty three. The the world, the Earth is flat. Who knows? You know, like watch that documentary next. I don't think the Earth is flat, by the way. But yeah. um, so I recently I actually did watch, had... I did watch a documentary about that last week. So you know, you get along with my boyfriend. He watches all those too. Um, I had a, a researcher contact me a couple years ago and say that actually my family's claim to the Strauss name is illegitimate, and perhaps there was a mistress or something that we are not legitimate descendants of of the composer Johann. So. Uh, I don't want that guy coming for me any further. So I will just say, if you look at the photos of of Johann Strauss and my dad or myself, uh, it's fun to look at it and see the family resemblance. Whether there's an illegitimate illegitimacy to the the name or not, I I don't even want to get into anymore. But uh, it's it was definitely fun growing up in such a musical household, regardless of the ancestry. You know, my dad is a professional touring musician. Uh, a lot of my family members on both sides are still professional musicians. So uh, growing up with a lot of music was good. It was a blessing for me. I've got an illustration of him up on my screen as I talk to you. And uh, I'm just sort of looking at him and trying to, just trying to imagine blonde hair and like maybe some, <laughs> maybe some kind of makeup around the eyes. And I, I, can, yeah. I can kind of see it, I think. I posted a I posted a side by side a couple years ago. I'll see if I can track it down and send it over to Kirsten. Uh, it was it was funny to look at. Right, right. Was it, was it always music for you then? Like when you, I mean, I there's no way of saying this without sounding like the most tedious journalist in the world. But um, when you speak to a woman who is a virtuoso on their instrument, I'm totally aware that I think it's a lot more difficult for women to break into, you know, just there's a lot less of you than there are men. Like, was it always, as a young girl, was it always that you wanted to play music? No, not always. Um, I grew up doing gymnastics and ballet, like a lot of girls my age. My mom was a dancer and dance teacher, so... Uh, I didn't play start playing guitar until I was 13, actually. Um, and then I wow. absolutely fell in love with it. That was, you know, once I started playing, that was it for me. You know, never went back to another gymnastics class and fell in love with, you know, performing and creating music and, and playing. Um, and then as far as, you know, the female male thing, I think it's not exclusive to music where that happens. You know, yeah. I think it's you know, there's, there could be the, I use this analogy a lot, but there could be the greatest female heart surgeon in the world. And there would still be a dude somewhere that says, I don't want a girl operating on my heart, you know, it's, it's just, it's just kind of part of it, you know, so you can be angry about it or you can, you know, affect change from within. And I think as long as that heart surgeon has a good success rate, and as long as, you know, the women guitar players keep going out there and delivering solid shows like we do, you know, I think that's the best way that you can affect change. I went to see, um, I went to see the England women's soccer team last night and they were, they're really good. They, they won the Euros uh, the other year. So Amazing. there's a lot of, bu- there's a lot of buzz about them. And there were all these little girls with like uh, handwritten placards that said, 
thank you for inspiring my generation and i was like beautiful oh it was amazing yeah it was beautiful. Uh, I, I can be a bit of a cynic but i was like no this is what it's all about you know it was incredible it was- you know la has one now la has a female soccer team called angel city and uh matt stafford from the, the rams and his wife are involved in the team and uh it's it's great. It's wonderful to see. You know, Kelly Stafford is always posting pictures of of their girls. You know, wearing the the team jerseys, supporting. So it's it's wonderful to see it happening. You know, in in golf, in NASCAR racing. You know, in in music, in sports. You know, women just excelling in all fields. Yeah, here's to that. Are you? Um, this is a bit of an open ended question. What about guitar players? do you not like in other players if that makes Hmm. sense what do i not like in other guitar players i'm trying to think really um i like i enjoy seeing guitar players that look like they're enjoying what they do you know like if you are to ever ask me about my heroes you know like i love guitar players like steve Vai or someone like jason becker who when you see videos of them play or you go see them in person there's just this joy and this confidence that exudes from them in their playing. And you leave thinking like, oh, that looked like fun. I want to go do that. Like, I want to go home and practice. And like, I want to go do that. And then there are other guitar players that just don't look like they want to be there. You know, they look at their shoes or they're not interacting with the audience. I want to leave a show feeling like I had fun and like they had fun. If they have fun, I'm going to have more fun. The, the, the vibe is contagious. So I think that's a, a bit of a pet peeve of mine in other guitar players if they're, you know, just focused on their their own introspective experience of the show and like and not like they're having fun. I agree with you 100%. I was just thinking about all of the uh, sort of pasty-faced English indie bands that uh, look at their shoes when they're playing the guitar, their shoegazers yeah. and stuff, yeah. Shoegazer, exactly. Well, speaking of of great, you know, UK bands, I saw Muse last night. Ah. And talk about a spectacle of a show. I mean, like just insane production, you know, in- incredible performances by the guys. Matt Bellamy was absolutely on fire. So, um, it, you know, that was that was a very inspiring show to go to. I I really like that last record. I think that song, the the last song is I think it's called "We Are Fucking Fucked." Like I I, <laughs> I, I love that tune. I just kind of wanted them to. It's really weird. Like for most of their career, I've almost been like. I wish they were a little bit less conspiracy theorist. And actually, mm. in twenty twenty three, I almost wish they were more. Like it was almost like they were, <laughs> they were pulling back slightly. Listen, I, I, I think you've got to go in and uh, finish shooting your video. And I, I do, to, yes. <laughs> I, I need to find out if UFOs are real. So, but I, I will tell, I will tell Kirsten this certainly for me at least lived up to expectations. So thank you so much I'm for your so time. Glad. <laughs> thank you very much for having me on. <laughs> Well, that was episode 151. Thanks to Nita for the chat. Thanks to Kirsten Springs for hooking us up. The theme tune is by the band Jobbers, and I'll see you soon. Yeah!